Good morning. This is lesson seven in A Tour Through John. I uh, bring you greetings from St. Augustine, Florida, the oldest city in the United States. Well, we're going to be looking at some pretty old and pretty famous scripture this morning, and that's John 3. So popular. While most who profess Christ know only verse 16, God so loved the world, the whole chapter is full of incredible passages. One of my favorite is, is verse 30, a passage on humility. We'll be looking at that tomorrow, actually. And verse 16, yes, it's a passage on salvation, although it's really a passage on God's love. But if you want to look for passages on salvation, verse 16 has faith. Hey, but what about repentance in verse 21? What about baptism in verse 5? you got to put them all together. Now, there's so much to see when we stand back and stop reading the Bible verse by verse, start reading chapter by chapter. Much better method. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that your teachers come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Well, this nocturnal visit of Nicodemus is very well known. He was a Pharisee, and not just an academic. He was a leader of the Jews. Pharisees were a sect of Judaism that were most concerned that people follow the scriptures, that no one disobey, even accidentally. And it's true that in general, they didn't walk the walk if Matthew 23 is any indication of their real lifestyle. Uh, but there were exceptions. There were Pharisees who were great uh, men, and a number of them became Christians. And the Pharisees were, were right about the need to obey God's word. If they were with us today, this particular sect would probably be the kind of committed end of the spectrum of evangelicals. That would be the Pharisees, and probably a lot of us. Uh, you listening to the podcast, me, probably we would be, be belonged to, uh, we'd be part of their group as opposed to any other. Well, Nicodemus was one of their better specimens. And he approaches Jesus in a positive and it seems a very sincere way. He accepts Jesus's miracles. And it seems he even accepts his divine authority. You know, we know you've come from God and he wasn't alone in this. The visit takes place at night, maybe because of fear or for discretion. Uh, maybe it was just Nicodemus's schedule, or maybe it was so that he could have uninterrupted conversation with Jesus. Hard to say, but in the Gospel of John, with light and darkness and day and night, there's some overtone that probably means something. Listen to Jesus's reply. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Let's have some comments. And again, as through this entire series, I'm reading from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. Well, Jesus certainly doesn't mince words. He directly tells Nicodemus he has to be born again. In fact, he tells him three times in verses 3, 5, and 7. And as 
Often happens in the Gospel of John, we have some double meanings. Born from above, born again. Anothen is the Greek word. And anothen means again, but it also means from above. And it's not a question of figuring out which one it is. It's both. Because the new birth has a heavenly origin. And yes, it is a new birth, a second birth. It's nothing that we can accomplish. It comes from God. Now, this notion of the new birth is uh, an Old Testament concept, not just a New Testament concept. You can find it in Isaiah and Ezekiel and other books, and it should have been familiar to someone who knew his Bible well, which means that really Nicodemus had little excuse for um, the confusion that he seems to uh, uh, experience after Jesus's words. He should have known the new birth um, had been prophesied. Nicodemus says, well, how can these things be? And Jesus replies, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? But Jesus is, uh, he expects better. There's actually no excuse for someone in Nicodemus's position not to be uh, better prepared, not to be more in tune with God's word. He just doesn't seem to understand. And so Jesus gives a few illustrations. And when I'm confused, probably same for you, right? An illustration can help me to see more clearly. Maybe another illustration, and I've got it. Well, there are three illustrations. The first is about water and spirit. The new birth comes in baptism. This is a baptism passage. So, you can see the parallel passage in Titus 3.5. Read Titus 3.5, read John 3.5, and when you recommend your friends to read them, recommend them together because they are perfect parallels. By the way, that this passage is about baptism was the unanimous interpretation of the early church fathers for centuries and centuries. I mean, I know for a fact there was no dissenting view among Christians on verse 5 being baptism the first 500 years. And I'm actually not aware of a, a dissenting view in the following 500 years. It's really with the Protestant Reformation that the confusion just cascades uh, through um, believers. It's talking about baptism, and that's the consensus of virtually all New Testament scholars. And uh, attempts to make it refer to amniotic fluid. I think that's a kind of a Baptist church interpretation. They're not convincing. And British Baptist scholar George Beasley Murray, one of the top ones in the world, uh, in his baptism in the New Testament, he rejected that notion as unconvincing, you know, that someone's waters break and therefore you're born of the water. It's just reaching. It's not what Jesus is saying. Besides, Jesus isn't talking about two spiritual births. He's talking about one, right? He's comparing the, the natural birth to the spiritual uh, rebirth. Water and spirit are connected. They're conjoined in a number of ancient texts. You can see it in Ezekiel 36, um, even in, in writings outside the Bible, um, like the Book of Jubilees or the Psalms of Solomon or, or uh, documents that were found in the Dead Sea caves. There's Dead Sea scrolls that connect this. So there was plenty of background. In, in fact, even, you know, John the Baptist was, was uh, talking about baptism and then he was talking about Jesus's baptism. That was different because of the Holy Spirit. So Nicodemus should have known that. Jesus clarifies. Now there's another illustration, and that's the wind. The point's not that the motions of spirit-led people are weird and erratic, but that the wind, it may be invisible, but it still has definite effects. Something unseen can still be 
real and tangible. Right? So Jesus, he says, he gives this illustration of the wind. The wind blows where it chooses. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from, right? So you don't see it. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it's not real. Um, it has direction. So it's not um, a passage saying that if we're born again, we're weird and flaky. It's to explain that the origin of this new birth and the new life that follows, um, that origin may not be visible to those who are not on the spiritual wavelength. There's a third illustration, uh, and, and that's a snake. It's the bronze serpent, and that's in the section we're about to read. We continue. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, this is an odd passage. Um, people forget it's there. They know the born-again passage, the rebirth, that they know John 3.16, but this is what connects it. Jesus had rebuked Nicodemus for not understanding these important concepts, right? Those who teach and lead, they need to know the Bible. There's no excuse for ignorance. They should know it exceptionally well. You're a Christian leader, and those you lead in general know more scripture than you. Oh, well, shame on you. I mean... How can that be? We need to, to model and, and, and meditate and, and put the scriptures into our life um, just as much as we can. We need to know the scripture. And Jesus would be hard on us if he was hard on Nicodemus. And if he doesn't accept these truths, Nicodemus would, would simply be illustrating the resistance of the Jews to the light, that resistance that we'll see in verse 19. Um, that is referred to in chapter 1, verse 11, that resistance. But if he does accept what Jesus is saying, then he can be born again. Uh, that's really cool. That's great. Well, Nicodemus is a great guy. Um, he appears again in chapters 7 and 20. The trajectory of his faith is clear from the night visit to defending Jesus before the Jewish leaders, chapter 7, work, you know, approaching Pilate for the body of Jesus in verse 20. If he continued on this path, and I admit this is, a spec this is speculation, he would have become a strong Christian. But where he ends up is left undetermined. And I think that relates to us. You know, We could be on a good trajectory, but the story's not over. We don't really know how he ended up. If you want more on this, please listen to my podcast on Nicodemus. I want to get back to this third illustration, the serpent. Well, it's referring to a very well-known event that's recounted, recounted in the book of Numbers. Now, if you're not familiar with Numbers 21, uh, maybe you just take, take some time out to read it. I, I could do that, but then we would have to split today's offering into two separate lessons. So the serpent is, uh, is well known. Uh, Moses had created it to uh, alleviate the, the, the problem that came from the snake bites, which came from the problem of unbelief. So it's a well-known event. 
And again, Jesus is trying to draw Nicodemus's spiritual gaze upwards. You know, they looked at the snake on the pole and they were healed. Jesus's crucifixion is compared to Moses's raising of the snake on the pole. That's that's the background of verse 16. Because, you know, famous verse 16 says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. What's he connecting it to? The previous verse, uh, verse or two, Moses lifted up the serpent. The Son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's the connection. So 316 is rooted in the snake on the pole. And lifting up of Jesus here in verse 14, and also you'll see in 1232, it means the death, resurrection, and ascension. The lifting up is not just the crucifixion being lifted up onto the wood. Um, it's, it involves the ascension. It's bigger than just one thing. And early Christians saw this as a sign of the cross. When Moses put the snake on the pole, um, it would have made the shape of a T. It was a bronze snake, so that would have balanced, well, not, not balanced, but it was attached, um, a, a T, uh, the Tau cross, uh, which is probably the, the, the actual shape of the cross, not the one that we see in art. And now in Hezekiah's time, that bronze serpent had become an idol. It was so venerated that in the great cleanup, the reform that Hezekiah heads up, uh, the snake has to be destroyed. Well, that's 700 years after Moses' time. Okay, so again, you see, all three of these passages draw us upwards. The snake is lifted up. The wind comes from above. The source of the new birth is also heavenly. And one thing I'll admit before we wrap up, it's kind of hard to know here where the words of Jesus end and where the words of John the evangelist begin. I mean, is 316 still part of his explanation to Nicodemus, or is that more editorial? The dialogue part is over. There are no quotation marks in the Greek, so we don't really know. Did Jesus stop speaking in verse 12? Was it verse 16, or is it verse 21? Very hard to know. Theologically, it's not a big deal. Nothing is affected whether these words are Jesus or those of the gospel writer, because the scripture is inspired. It's a spirit speaking either way. There's no such thing as red-letter words in the Bible. It's all from God. Well, when we look at John's gospel, we see that it's carefully constructed. And one of my purposes in these podcasts is to point out to us connections that we might miss if we're just reading it, um, well, without uh, uh, going too deep or, or maybe reading too quickly or maybe we're distracted. We're listening to music with, with words and, and we're not really focused. I want us to really appreciate how incredible every book of the Bible is. Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus is best understood, I think, in connection with the miracle of the changing of the water to wine. You know, Jesus had to drive out the old and the corruption and, and purify the temple. He's trying to purify uh, the faith, chapter 2. And right before that passage of the cleansing of the temple is water to wine. Now, they're both, both these passages are about transformation and new life. Water to wine, uh, one who's simply born of woman, one who's born from above or born again. Transformation and new life, they're connected. Just as the conversation with the Samaritan woman, which we'll see in chapter 4 in a couple of days, that's connected with the cleansing of the temple. We might not notice it at the time, if we're, if we're just reading one chapter at a time, but 
They connect, both concerned returning to God in truth, not putting our trust in institutions or holy places. Okay? Well, tomorrow we're going to continue from um, 3.16, John 3.16. And I don't want us to forget about this. Today, in my outreach, ask myself this question. I must. Am I more direct and to the point with religious people than I am with those unfamiliar with God's word? Jesus was very direct with people who had less excuse, didn't waste time. He kind of cut to the chase. Those who are unfamiliar, they need a bit more padding, a bit, well, a bit more time, a bit more uh, building of trust uh, in God. So do I feel, follow Jesus's lead and calling the religious to greater knowledge, responsibility, and influence? I find some Christians are kind of afraid to engage with people who are very religious. Other Christians feel very uneasy around people who are critical or agnostic or atheistic. Um, if we're going to be like Christ, we need to get practice and we need to get some confidence dealing with the very religious as well as those who are very irreligious. Jesus reaches out to all people. He's the Savior of the whole world. And I guess one other question I could ask here. Am I using, in my teaching, um, the whole Bible, the whole arsenal of the Bible? which means the Old Testament especially. I mean, Jesus is connecting with Nicodemus and he digs back to the book of Numbers. That's the kind of thing we should be doing regularly if we know God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's a beautiful day. Please help us to follow Christ. Jesus, who spoke to Nicodemus uh, with patience, but directness, not just academically, but with multiple illustrations, the master teacher, help us to all be that and to aspire to be that. Lord, we thank you that you love the world so much that you gave your son. Uh, there was no obligation, certainly on your part, to do that, that you care about us. And, and rather than just facing death, you offer us life and life eternal. It starts now and extends on forever. We relish that. We look forward to it when we get to the other side. Thank you for the Gospel of John. Help us uh, to see. Help us to hear. Uh, be with us as we continue the study of this incredible book. Um, it's through Christ I offer this prayer. Amen.